five, four, three, two, one. Finally making September gems now. Mm. Oh yeah, what's going on everybody? It's Game That Tune Gems back in the house once again. It's your boy John Harrington here, and I've got the August Absurdity Champion, David Fleming, with me. David, say hey. Hey. Hell yeah, man. It's uh, just me and you for now. Jesse's having some internet troubles. Johnny's unavailable. So it's uh, it's a John and David classic. Uh, classic two-man edition of Game That Tune Gems. Games every month, suckers. The, video, uh, the Patreon-exclusive show where we take a look and listen back to video game releases from 30, 20, and 10 years ago and just enjoy those sweet, sweet tunes, baby. And, uh, man, we got a stacked lineup because we're in the month of September. It's definitely the month of September as we're recording this. And, man, what a month it is. So we're going to be listening to awesome releases from September 1992, 2002, and 2012. And, you know, David, I'm not going to let you say anything else before we hop back in time to 1992 because the show is simply that stacked. Because, David, we've arrived. It's 1992, it's September, and it's time for us to head to the island. For a third time, David, the island of adventure. And I'm not talking about the theme park, because it's 1992. That hasn't been built yet. I'm talking about Adventure Island 3 on the NES. I mean, as soon as you said island and third time, I was like, wait. When did Adventure Island 3 get released? Yeah, right? <laughs> I feel like that could have been 92. Mm-hmm. It was. And, uh, man, what a game in, uh, dare I say it, what a series that I think you probably played much more than I did. Uh, yes, because I um, famously did not have a Super Nintendo. So anytime there was a new release on the NES, I was all about it. Um, I definitely played a lot of Adventure Island 3. Um Adventure Island, of course, being the series where you play as Master Higgins, exploring an island full of adventure, um, picking up power, like power ups that were different weapons and also that were dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. And you didn't really have a life meter. You had a hunger meter for some reason. So as long as you collected enough fruit, you were good to go. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, taking a quick look at the box art, I believe this was the game that introduced the Triceratops, um, who was green. Um, in the first game, famously, there were there was a blue and like magenta dinosaur. Um, the blue one would wag its tail and throw sparks, and the red one would breathe fire. The Triceratops just kind of like spun under you, but it hmm. was like a sonic spin attack. Um, so you just like run up to an enemy, it would just whirl around and you would kill it. Um, it was a very odd dinosaur it's an odd use of a triceratops i would think it would be more of a charging dinosaur but i guess spinning dinosaur works too yeah you would think that right yeah like maybe like a projectile that like shoots its horns out or something but no it was like a weird spinny dinosaur but you know what it kind of worked yeah because i mean i always Um, just picture triceratops that they're you know they're bulldozers with horns so like they they scoop and they poke and they push they don't spin but i mean whatever works on the crazy adventure island man um, I also remember this game having a ton of like hidden secrets and rooms and like you would go into like you would find a hidden area and then there'd be like a little mini game to get a power up or something like I don't know I put a lot of time into this game and I feel like it might be one of those things where if I went back and played it now like it would be janky as all hell sure. but definitely as a kid 
I enjoyed the hell out of Adventure Island 3. I mean, you just described going back and playing most any NES game. I mean, you can you still can find the fun, I think, in something like uh, Adventure Island 3. Because, uh, yeah, just pretty fun platformers. Uh, Master Higgins, fashion icon. I mean, he wears a hat and a grass skirt. And, uh, you know, it's an island full of dinosaurs and wacky shit. And I think you skateboard, too. So it's, uh, it's all the good things the kids liked in the early 90s. Uh, so, uh, speaking of that, we've got two fantastic songs from Adventure Island 3, and uh, the composers Miyoshi Okuyama, Hirohiko Takayama, and Gatuchan, love the mononyms, uh, we've got Coastal Clash, and we've got Cascading Torrent. I saw you rocking out pretty good, man. I can tell that's uh, that's the nostalgia of a song that you've heard while playing a game many, many times. <laughs> I was literally about to send a message to you like, holy shit, you don't know what that music does for me. <laughs> it just literally knocked you back 30 years. Well, let's hope that we have similar reactions to the rest of this and that we didn't just start with our best game possible. Um, let's move on to another NES release, David. I'm sure that you also put the same amount of time that you did at Adventure Island 3 into another, I think, third entry in a series. Uh, David, let's talk about Contra Force. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is a game I 
definitely knew existed, right? Played <laughs> and loved on the NES. Uh-huh. And I for sure didn't think that the Contra series went Contra Super C, Contra 3 on the Super Nintendo. You know, you no, would have. I was well aware of Contra 3 on the NES. And see, and, you know, I reveal my stupidity because Contra 3 on the SNES has already come out. <laughs> so, uh, yes, Contra Force is, of course, the fourth game, uh, but the third on the NES. Uh, completing the the trilogy, of course, like you said, of Contra Super C and now Contra Force. Um, I love how it completes the trilogy trilogy of Contra Super C. Yeah, ignore that Super Nintendo thing. Yeah. Here's the third game. Right, ignore the best game in the series. Here's uh, here's another one. You know, come back to your NES and guess what? Instead of aliens, uh, you're fighting terrorists. It's the least Contra Contra of all time. <laughs> um, no, frankly, uh, no deal. But I, you know, it was a Contra game. I kind of had to throw it on the list. David, it's a Contra game in which you're not fighting aliens. It's a side-scrolling game and you're fighting fucking terrorists around the earth. I'm like, anybody want that? <laughs> I feel like that... I feel like this should have been the first game in the Contra series. Like, you're a couple of muscle dudes with bandanas shooting terrorists and then you go to aliens. Like, you can't start with aliens and then go to terrorists. That's yeah. just a step backwards. No, you, yeah, you can't put the aliens back in the space. They, you know, once they arrive on Earth, you battle the aliens. I mean, if they had, you know, the idea of a prequel at this time, this would have been a great prequel. But no, it's just, yeah, it's, a, it's a sequel. And it's unrelated to anything that uh, came before or would come after. It's just the, you know, the bland, uh, weird Earth-based Contra. So... To that, we've got three fa- or two fantastic songs from Contra Force and the surprisingly large composing team oh, geez, of Kenichi Matsubara, Yasuhiko Mano, Tomoya Tomita, maybe you've heard of them, Jun Funahashi, and Jun Chuma. We've got Mission 1, the Dewar Dry Warehouse. That feels like a weird translation thing, Dewar Dry. And we've got Mission 4, the Thunder Wolf Helicopter. That sounds kind of cool.
I do want to say it makes perfect sense because obviously it's a Konami game, but that really sounds like a later Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Yeah, no, they were putting everything they had into the NES at this point. I mean, in terms of just like sound knowledge. So, yeah, it sounds great. Um, very, very Konami. But, uh, you know, a Contra game that takes place in, you know, a fucking dry cleaning warehouse and a helicopter? No, 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 thank you. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's, you know, let's keep it on the planet Earth and go for a more Earth appropriate uh, game and setting. You know, I was anticipating Jesse being here for this one because we're moving over to the Sega Genesis. He's, of course, the Sega legend. And I'm pretty sure that he has previously brought to game that tune the game King Salmon, the big catch. David, have you, uh, Taking Jesse's advice and played King Salmon, the uh, the fishing game for the Sega Genesis. <laughs> you know, I feel comfortable saying this since, unfortunately, Jesse is not here. No, I have not. Yeah, do, do you remember the day that Jesse brought a game called King Salmon to the uh, to the show before? <laughs> you know, I feel comfortable saying this since Jesse is not here. No, I do not. <laughs> Jeez, David, come on! It's only been like you know 198 episodes or something since he brought it. I mean, it's yeah. Jeez. Is this kind of like River King, but for the Genesis? Uh, yes, I think that's almost exactly right. Uh, and I say okay, that cool. without having played Le uh, Legend of the River King or King Salmon. But uh, yeah, it's a fishing game in which you ride around a boat and try to catch big salmon. Um, there's so many games on tonight's show. That's really all I need to say about it. It's King Salmon on the Genesis. It's got a nice soundtrack. It was composed by Masaharu Iwata, of all people. Um, the only thing I want to know is, did Sega at this time have the foresight as Sega in 2001? Was there a like, fishing pole peripheral for mm. the Genesis, specifically for this game? Can you imagine if they all, in the midst of releasing you know, unlimited revisions to the Sega Genesis, the Sega CD, 32X, all the shit, they also released a needed, like a, a required fishing pole peripheral for a fishing game? Like, you know, that's so Sega. Sadly, I don't think it happened. It really, uh, really should have. But um, we'll just have to play King Salmon using a regular controller. Maybe maybe a six button if you're going you know real wild. Um, but yeah, King Salmon again, composed by Masaharu Iwata of like Final Fantasy and Tactics Ogre and like much better uh, and more noted game uh, compositions. Composed by Masaharu Iwata, we got two fantastic songs from King Salmon. We've got Vancouver Island, the Salmon Derby, and we've got Fight. That's right, David. You fight the salmon.
It's uh, just fantastic tunes to fight a fish with. Um, you know, puts me in the mood to beat up a salmon. Uh, David, if you were making a fighting game centered around various uh, various fish, I, uh, I don't know. Give me a special move that you would give to a large salmon. Um, I feel like there would definitely be some kind of scale the waterfall uppercut. Oh yeah, like an upstream attack. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that'd be most of it. <laughs> Good. I want you to keep that uh, that thought process and uh, you know knowledge of uh, fighting games to carry it into our next game. You know, unfortunately, probably not featuring any fighting fish, but featuring you know other characters, the humans, as it were, that maybe uh, maybe could fight. Uh, let's go to the arcade, man, and pop a quarter into a Neo Geo fighting game in the arcade. It's the first time, David, that we're going to learn the art of fighting. Oh yeah, you know that one. We're talking King of Fighters. Uh, well, now hold on, David. <laughs> yeah, surely not. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just being silly. We're talking Fatal Fury. And now here's the thing, David. It's actually uh, no. This is a third uh, third set of fighting games set in that Neo Geo fighting game universe. <laughs> oh God, I am such an idiot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're talking Samurai Showdown. No. Shit. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This might be the least, uh, least well-known game in the Neo Geo fighting game universe. There's not another one of these bits you need to do, is there? I can't remember how many things come together for King of Fighters later on. <laughs> no, I'm finished. Okay. Cool. I was like, shit. What's their fifth franchise? Oh no. <laughs> I mean, my next thing would have been like Metal Slug. Right. Like, oh. <laughs> um. Yeah. No, I don't really know a whole lot about art of fighting myself. I feel like this was one of those kind of games that like. You just happened upon in like a random sandwich shop or, you know, like a barbecue place back when you were a kid and you played it once or twice. And then uh, you kind of forgot about it. And years later, you uh, confused it with Fatal Fury and uh, fucking King of Fighters. Because <laughs> um, eventually these characters just got rolled into King of Fighters, I think. So, uh, yeah, looks good. It's <laughs> it's a weird thing because like, yeah, it's sometimes I remember who comes from what. Because I always forget the Art of Fighting series introduced one of my favorite characters from SNK, which is Yuri Sakazaki, mm. who played very, very similar to like the Shotos from Street Fighter. So when I went over to the SNK section of the arcade, I was like, I don't know who any of these characters are. Wait, this one has like a Shoryuken and a Hadouken. Okay, yeah. I can get into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's all it takes, man. You know, just uh, don't rip off the other series, but make a character you know accessible to people that might be coming over from the other games. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's a uh, it's a good looking game for uh you know man back in the day I, you know i love the big sprites love the you know cool looking backgrounds just you know i was a sucker for arcade fighting games i just had you know i just took my kid on the on a trip to the like local kind of shitty all redemption game arcade and i'm just like looking around i'm like man this place just needs one fighting game like any anyone it could be art of fighting i don't care you know like just fucking throw one fighting game modern arcades man they're lacking kids are growing up not playing fighting games all they care about is tickets and laffy taffy no fighting games <laughs> that's that's one of the things that i appreciate about <clears throat> that's one of the things that i appreciate about the logan arcade shout out to logan arcade in chicago mm. uh it's a barcade that has a whole bunch of like pinball machines and classic arcade machines but like they have a whole back corner that's like just six fighting games all lined up. There's yeah, like Street good. Fighter 2, there's Street Fighter 3. I think they've got an alpha machine. Mm. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. This is awesome. Yep. That's, uh, that's you know, you, you learn a lot about yourself 
uh, fighting in the arcades, especially when there's money on the line and pride on the line. But anyway, uh, Art of Fighting, a perfectly fine game that ultimately got rolled into King of Fighters. So we've got two perfectly fine songs from Art of Fighting, the perfectly fine game, uh, from the Neo Geo Sound Orchestra. We've got Art of Fight, and we've got this <laughs> utterly bizarrely named uh, song. I think it's just called Mummy, Mummy, Mummy. That's all one word. I apologize if that's somehow offensive or I said some you know Japanese swear word just now, but uh, let's uh, let's learn the art of fighting. <laughs>
yeah, man. I, uh, I dig it. I dig that Neo Geo arcade sound. I dig that funky bass. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I kind of wish I played more SNK, uh, fighting games. So I knew more about these, <laughs> um, but speaking it's definitely of, a blind spot. It, I mean, it really is. Like, I only barely know the couple of main characters from the King of Fighters series. So when you get deep into that roster, I'm like, these guys all look very cool, but I'm sorry that I can't speak to them. <laughs> um, but if you want to talk about, you know, Geese and Terry and Joe Higashi, you know, I'm your guy. <laughs> if you want to go deeper than that, I'm in deep, deep trouble. Um, so speaking of games that I never went deep on and I'm in deep, deep trouble, David, we're going over to the SNES. And uh, yeah, this my is, specialty <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad that it's you and me here uh, to talk about one obscure SNES game and one not so obscure SNES game. I know that we're going to be able to talk about one of these, so let's get the first one out of the way. David, let's talk about a scrolling shooter called Axley. I mm, hang on. Yeah, it's a vertical scrolling shooter, and it's a space thing, and you're a spaceship shooting monsters. So, excuse me, it's made by Konami. I feel like I've played Axley before mm. and remember it being really fucking good. That's the thing. I need to play it too because I know that it's developed by a bunch of Konami guys that quit the company and formed Treasure. So, like, these guys were kind of like putting it all out there and making cool games. And then Konami's like, yeah, you're making games that are too cool. You can leave if you want. And they're like, yeah, cool. We're going to go make Gunstar Heroes then. <laughs> See ya. Um, right. This was kind of. Okay, I'm looking more up about this game. Um, and apparently a lot of the team also did Life Force on the NES. Oh, and it word. had the same kind of like some vertical, some horizontal shooting segments. Right. And like, yeah, I definitely remember playing this game. I don't know if it ever came out on like Wii Virtual Console or something like that. Um, or if I just eventually picked <laughs> yeah. it up when I got my Super Nintendo. Right, but, yeah, or somehow yeah, a decade and a this... half later you got it at Blockbuster, of course. <laughs> Um, I remember this game being really fucking good. Yeah, I forgot that it was a side-scrolling and vertical-scrolling shooter. And, you know, I think we're going to have to play this, David. We're going to have to hop in a spaceship and shoot some big hideous monsters. It's got, like, you know, weird lava monsters. It's got, like, you know, they clearly ripped off the fucking, uh, like, H.R. Geiger fucking, you know, the movie Aliens. Uh, Alien. Uh, they, you know, it looks like some giant, like, arachnid monsters. You know, all good things. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fine flying a spaceship and shooting these things. They look cool. <laughs> Apparently, um, this game made it into the book 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die. Well, when was that book published? <laughs> um, that book was published in October of 2010. Or, oh. Yeah, 2010. Wow. I I can only imagine how it's been updated in the years since then. I had no idea that was a book. but I, I mean, mean, I'm sure that there has been nothing worth playing in the last... 12 years. Nothing that I would say you have to play before you die. Certainly nothing more than Axley. Um, but anyway, yeah, we got two fantastic songs from Axley and composer Taro Kudo. We've got the Cosmic Dance and we've got Burning, a sensation that I feel constantly.
John, if you feel burning constantly, you should consult a doctor. Yeah, I think I need to call my doctor and find out if Axley is right for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I need uh, I need some relief. And maybe this game could provide it. Um, but maybe this next game can also provide me the relief that I need. Because we're at our final game of this segment. It's an SNES game. Dare I say it, it's uh, not the best entry in this series, though it's the first entry in this series. Therefore, it should not be judged too harshly. They were trying to work some things out. And it's a game that I put a lot of time into on the SNES, and I've put more time into pretty much every version that's come out since. Um, I, I got it. I got it. Oh, yeah? Not the first entry. It is the first but... entry. Oh, it's the first entry, but yeah. not the best entry. Right. I got this. What is it? The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. <laughs> Damn, not even close. <laughs> yeah. Wait, no, God, I'm such an idiot. Super Castlevania 4. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it is they the first really entry. They were really bold in their naming. Yeah, it, it was like Star Wars. <laughs> it was exactly. Super Castlevania 4. Um, as far as I knew. But no, uh, David, this... Uh, Let's, let's just hop in our go-karts, man. It's Super Mario Kart. I'm sorry, what game? Yes. <laughs> the, huh? um, you know, I would say, like I, uh, like I just explained, not the best entry in the Mario Kart series. Um, I would say it's been improved upon by nearly every subsequent game. It's a little tough to go back and play this game. I would say Super Mario Kart is, when looking at the series as a whole, the second worst Mario Kart game. Damn. Are you prepared to name the worst? Is it Super Circuit? <laughs> I really don't like Super Circuit. <laughs> the one that's kind of like this, but on a Game Boy Advance and simply not as good. <laughs> um, I, I remember playing this game at my neighbor's house mm. and having a lot of fun. But yeah, it's one, definitely one of those games where you're like, I love Super Mario Kart. And then you go back and play it as not an eight-year-old right. and it does not hold up. Yeah, no, it's a it's a lot of work to not be frustrated by this game. Like, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, I don't know if it's one of those uh, things where, I mean, obviously it's something where I just misremembered it. I didn't remember that you could only play this game in the split screen uh, perspective. They didn't figure out a way to make one player fit the whole TV. So you constantly had a map or like a rear view thing and you could only use half the screen for your driving. Um and the, the AI and the like, the rubber banding and just the controls in general are just frustrating. But <laughs> I, I think control-wise, the hardest thing that I had going back to this game was you can't drift. No, you can only hop. Yeah, 
Um, you can hop and, and spin the, other, the fuck out. <laughs> and the other thing that I remember about this game that was very frustrating is every character has like a specific power up. Mm-hmm. But if you're playing as that character, you don't get, you don't get that power up. <laughs> it's fine. Like, I definitely remember racing against Bowser and having like a giant flame, like fireball type thing. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. And I started playing as Bowser and never once got that. Right. It's like, yeah. wait a minute. Yeah, it's hold like, oh, on. I'll play as the princess so I can drop the shrinking mushroom on people. Oh, no, it never happens. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't get the shrinking yeah, mushroom. That's not cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an important game because obviously the series is still going to this day. But also I would say that this really you know, put everybody's mind in a different mode as to what you could do with your franchises. It's like, hey, what if we just took the Mario characters and did something fucking wacky and off the wall, like having them race go-karts? And then it's like, well, okay, now they can do anything. So we can make endless sports games and spinoffs and, you know, we can put characters in anything. And, you know, whenever there's, you know, any big company, you're always kind of like, you know, okay, yeah, so what, like, what's their fucking Mario Kart? Like, <laughs> you, you always want to see you know, characters from your favorite companies crossing over into driving, you know, racing games, maybe a fighting game, uh, you know, uh, things like that. It just started, I don't know, something really fun with video games. I think it's a, it's an important game for that, but not so much for the playing of the game anymore. <laughs> no, but like for its place in history, I will also always give this game credit because this game gave us my favorite one-ups album of all time, Ooh. Super Mario Kart. Hell yeah, man. You know, it's got a legacy. It's got great tunes. It's uh, it's just a little difficult to go back, you know? Um, I, uh, you know, I love the Mario Kart series, and, you know, I, I have love for this game. But uh, for now, we're just going to finish off the segment with three fantastic tunes. It's your bonus beats for 1992. From Super Mario Kart and composer Soyo Oka, we've got the Donut Plains. We've got Bowser's Castle. And then, of course, we're going to be ever so frustrated by Rainbow Road. So that's going to do it for 1992, and we'll see you in a decade, y'all. <laughs> Thank you. 
I know we have to move on, but man, it's fun to just jam on some old Mario cartoons. Uh, you know, Rainbow Road remains funky to this day. You, you just gotta love it. But here we are, David. It's 2002 and we don't love Mario Kart, or we don't love Super Mario Kart anymore. We've moved on to loving Mario Kart 64, and we wait for the new entries for the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance. Um, and that means it's time for awesome tunes from other systems. Other systems that we owned in 2002. Wait, had Super Circuit already come out? Did we already cover this? <laughs> I was going to say, like, yeah, we're looking forward to Mario Kart on the GameCube, not so much on the Game Boy Advance. Okay, yeah. Either it already came out or we're just talking about how we don't like it. Either way, it's time, David, for us to bust out our PlayStations. Our PlayStation 2, specifically. Because there's a big new game in a fantastic series coming out for the PlayStation 2. A long-awaited sequel to arguably one of the greatest PlayStation games of all time. Uh, it's the fourth entry in a series. It's one of my favorite series. Uh, you know, we were talking in the last segment about how much we love fighting games. I, David, love Tekken. And this is Tekken 4. <laughs> shocked. Yes. Shocked, I say. Yes, David, can we get, make sure the audio picks up you slapping your face in shock at me saying, I love Tekken. There it is. Um, yeah. No, 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 keep slapping yourself. <laughs> yeah, keep going. It didn't quite pick up. <laughs> we're going to do some fresh takes of that at the end of the show. Um, that All that said, Tekken 4, a pretty good game. Uh, pretty cool. In you know being a new sequel to uh, the Tekken series, obviously there was already Tekken Tag Tournament on the PlayStation Two, um, but Tekken Four was like introducing new characters and you know moving story beats forward and stuff. Not that at the time I cared that much about Tekken story beats, um, but it was still cool just to see cool new characters, cool new uh, you know arenas and shit. It's funny the I think probably only real legacy of this game outside of the couple of new characters it introduced is that it added walls um as kind of lame as that sounds like it's like oh yeah walls I'm like oh, actually that kind of becomes a thing in Tekken you know kind of a big deal going forward like if you're going to pick your arena you you know sometimes you pick one that's like the infinite thing no walls sometimes you pick the ones that have walls so you can you know bump up against them bounce off of them you know create new combos and things uh, in this one, the walls were kind of clunky. <laughs> they, they tried to do some I, interesting things with the arenas that didn't always work. I mean, I feel like you say walls aren't a super big deal, but also as somebody who knows about like 2D fighting games, like if you can trap somebody in the corner, like I feel like a game with walls predetermined would be a pretty big deal. Yes, exactly. And I mean, like previous Tekken games, all the stages were just infinite. And so, you know, yeah, you kind of could back up and, you know, the only limitation was how, like, a, just a predetermined distance that you couldn't go any further. So then you had to run at each other and stuff. But yeah, having walled in arenas that are bigger or smaller, you know, different in some ways, different shaped arenas. Uh, this one, they had a, they had like a parking garage stage where there was like columns in the middle, which was kind of annoying. Like, you know, so it's like, yeah, there are walls. And it's like, also they're, you know, they're just like columns in the middle of the stage. You can accidentally like bump into, you know, it, it didn't always go great. They also experimented with having like slanty stages with like different elevations and things that wasn't so great. <laughs> um, they got rid of that shit. So, you know, going forward in Tekken flat stages, some walls, some no walls, but, uh, they added some great characters, man. This one is the first appearance of Steve Fox, the boxer, who is just fantastic. Fucking style icon. Uh, I am still, to this day, in search of Steve Fox's Hawaiian shirt that he wears in this game. He just looks too fucking cool in this game. I'm I'm going to reveal my ignorance. He's not the boxer with the giant blonde, like, upward hair, is he? No, that would be Paul Phoenix. He's not a boxer. He's just a, he's a martial artist. But, you know, Paul's got the tall hair. Steve has the slick back blonde hair. 
Okay, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Um. And yeah, Steve's fucking great. Uh, he's got you know Tekken's the four button fighter, so you got you know two punches and two kicks. Steve doesn't have any kicks. His two kick buttons just make him do like dodge weaves and things, and he fucking boxes you. It's cool. Uh, it's also the first appearance of Craig Marduk. Marduk is the giant yelling Valley Tudo wrestling man who I love and idolize. He's just so big and so mean and so angry. <laughs> and uh, I I love playing as that character. He can get into a like a ready stance and tackle you rugby style and beat the shit out of you. He'll just stomp you with his giant feet and sit, tell you that he's going to break your face. He's a big angry man. Uh, I love him. And and also this game importantly replaced Eddie Gordo with Christy Montiero. So you lost Eddie and his capoeira style, but you gain Christy, who has the capoeira style and also has nearly no clothes on. So they knew the target market for these games. Uh, you know, young men wanting young men wanting more fidelity in their graphics, rounder polygons. <laughs> uh, they ditched Eddie and gave us Christy. So it's a uh, it's a very good game. Um, and yeah, it's got a great soundtrack. Uh, obviously, you know. Uh, you know, every the Tekken games that came out after this, Tekken Five is the the ultimate PS2 uh, Tekken game. But Tekken Four, it was actually Tekken Tag Tournament is totally better than this. So Tekken Four is the worst Tekken game on PlayStation Two, but it's still a fun game. It's it's good. It's just it's not you know they tried some things and not all of it worked out. They they refined it by Tekken Five, but a uh, good game, good soundtrack. We got two fantastic tracks. We got the strongest Iron Arena from composer Akitaka Toyama, and we've got Touch and Go from Satoru Kosaki. So, David. Dare I say it, get ready for the next battle.
Love. Love me some Tekken tunes. And I did forget to mention the other new character that Tekken 4 introduced. One that I'm not so uh, high on. They replaced Mokujin with Combat. Uh, Mokujin, of course, is the weird wooden training dummy that takes on all the styles of the other characters. They replaced it with a cyborg, Ooh. a robot named Combat, <laughs> which is terrible. But come on, David. Combat. It's uh... <laughs> like part of me wants to love the pun, but also the wooden training dummy. Yeah. Like, no, you mm-hmm. gotta love that. Yeah, they should have left Mokujin in. But, you know, we uh, we also we, we love combat. Uh, so speaking of things that we also love, David, you uh, you're a fan of some uh, animals. In uh, video games, you a fan of uh, like a uh, kind of three D platform and uh, you know fun rated E for everyone animal mascot games. Um, you know that's a that's a genre I have been known to be a fan of good. in the past, very good, and the present, <laughs> and the period between the past and the present. Yes, yes, I enjoy animal three D platform games. Excellent. So, David, of course, you played Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. Okay, so I'm going to level with you, John. Uh-oh. I have not played this game. However, they did a remaster or like a new port no for the Switch, like not too long ago. And I was looking at it, it was like, I don't know, this looks really fun. Like, it seems like one of those games that I missed out on that would have been totally up my alley. Yeah. Um, I'm a little disappointed that I missed out on it too, because it's a game. You know, I don't know what the fuck a Tasmanian tiger is. Uh, you know, the thing on the cover looks more like a like a wallaby. Um, but it's a wallaby well, it, that's throwing flaming boomerangs at things. <laughs> so, well, a Tasmanian tiger was a, I believe it was actually a marsupial. It may not have been. I may be off on that, but it was an animal that was indigenous to Australia and the island of Tasmania that went extinct. But there have been sightings of it since like the 1930s. So people think like maybe it exists secretly in the wild. Um, but yeah, it was an actual animal. Son of a bitch. You're right. I just, you know, clicked on the Wikipedia thing and clicked on Tasmanian tiger. And yeah, there, uh, there actually was a creature. It's, you know, an extinct carnivorous, extinct carnivorous marsupial, man. I, uh, I hope it's not actually extinct. Uh, that just makes me want to play tie the Tasmanian tiger even more. How many games let you play as an extinct animal, David, go ahead. Try and think of another one. Um, every game with a dinosaur that's playable. Oh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Hush your mouth. (laughs) Uh, I meant that it went extinct recently. Um, but no. Yeah, um, that's true. I can't really think of any, like, great awk games or passenger pigeon games. Yes, exactly. You know, name a game in which you play as a game, uh, an animal that's gone extinct that there is a photograph of somewhere. Not a dinosaur, David. Um. (laughs) Name a game where you play a stellar sea cow. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I see Lacanth games, um, but yeah, uh, it it well, looks actually just... <laughs> Celacanths aren't extinct. Oh shit! Right, that's the whole thing. They're not extinct. God damn it! <laughs> Again, you play as a Tasmanian tiger, which is uh, you know some kind of a carnivorous marsupial, and this thing appears to have boomerangs made out of lava. So, David, we both probably should have played this game. It looks great. I mean, and I... non-offensive to Australians. <laughs> I generally, I mean, not even generally. I enjoy every game where you have a boomerang as a weapon. Yes. And a boomerang that's made of lava is just 10 times cooler mm-hmm. per the law of things made of lava. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I don't even know, you know, Australia or Tasmania was famous for volcanoes, but yeah, uh, you know, Tasmanian tigers slinging lava, lava boomerangs. Uh, we should have played this, David. We're way behind. But anyway, we got two fantastic songs from Ty, the Tasmanian tiger and composer George Stama. Oh God, he's Greek. Uh, <laughs> I was not prepared for this. Yeah. I, I'm always in Japanese mode. St- Stamatiatis. Stama, Stamatiatis. Ah, uh, man, I'm, I'm, We'll fix work it in editing. <laughs> no, we won't. I apologize to the country of Greece. So uh, <laughs> from George S., we've got two fantastic songs from Ty the Tasmanian Tiger. We've got Outback Safari, and we've got The Water Race.
such a Greek man would give us such good surfing guitar. I, uh, I really enjoy that soundtrack. Yeah. David, we got to play this remake. We got to, got to hop on it. But, uh, in the meantime, speaking of delightful animal games, let's, uh, let's try a different delightful animal game. This one also on the PlayStation two, different, uh, different species of animal, different genre of game. I would dare say, uh, somewhat of a famous, uh, PlayStation series. Maybe didn't see, uh, too many more releases, but I think it's kind of a cool series. David, did you play Sly Cooper and the Thievius Raccoonus? Um, at this point in time, I did not have a PlayStation two. So oh, no, crud. but I will say of all of the like PlayStation series, um, Sly Cooper was near the top of my list just because it was a stealth action game where you play as a raccoon with a staff. And that seemed super cool and up my alley. It was, it was, uh, from the few little bits of it that I played, um, you know, I, I played it here and there. I, I obviously, you know, I rented it once or twice back in the day. Uh, it's uh, it's fun. It's a it's like a cell shaded look. You're playing as a raccoon, sneaking and doing heists. And you know, uh, my taste for Metal Gear had rubbed off on me enough that I was like, yeah, I'll play as this thing. I like a sneaking game. And yeah, you're just a sneaky little raccoon doing traversal stuff. <laughs> Plus, as I recall, isn't your crew like an old turtle and a hippopotamus? I believe it is. That sounds okay, right. Okay, yeah. And I think, you know, technically, David, I don't think Sly carries a staff. I think it's a cane because it's definitely got a crook on it. You use it to, like, hook onto things and swing and, like, slide on stuff. But, uh, uh, yeah, I'll give it to you. But it's uh, it's a cool-looking thing, and it's a, it's a fun game. Just, you know, sneaking. I can't even remember if there is, like, combat stuff. There's got to be. you got to be whacking stuff with that cane. But uh, I feel like there's combat, but minimal. it's sort of like a last resort type thing. Yeah. Um, Obviously, because it's a sneaking game, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, oh, that's what it is. Oh, sorry, I, I just glanced at the Wikipedia page. Sly is equipped with a cane to attack his foes, though he can be defeated with a single hit. So the player is urged mm -hmm. to use stealth maneuvers. So, yep, it's uh, it's fun, man. I uh, I like a good sneak around, and you know what better character than you know Sly Cooper? It's, you know, it's got like a, I feel like Sly has like a Danny Ocean kind of vibe about him. You know, they were trying to. Like, uh, replicate that kind of energy, like, you know, funky kind of 
loungy music, and he's uh, he's the guy that's too smart for everybody. He um, definitely has that kind of like gentleman thief vibe. Yes, exactly. I you know love a gentleman thief vibe. They should uh, they should make more games with that vibe. But anyway, we've got two fantastic songs from Sly Cooper and the Thievius Raccoonus from composer Ashif Hakik. We've got a stealthy approach, and we've got a high class heist, baby.
All right, so I might have gotten like the loungy, jazzy vibe uh, mixed up in my head. This definitely got a grungier sound to it, but I like it. It's good, just kind of dark, sneaky music. I uh, I dig it. Very good stuff. So, David, let's move on to a system that I know you did own around this time. Maybe you can talk us uh, through a series of fantastic Game Boy Advance releases, uh, starting with, of course, the uh, third entry in a popular series. David, we've got Super Mario Advance 3. So what game do we have? <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. I, We're no, doing no, no. it again, I can do baby. This. <laughs> Super Mario Advance was Super Mario Brothers 2. Super Mario Advance 2, I think, was Super Mario World. So Super Mario Advance 3 was Yoshi's Island? That's right, David. Yes! <laughs> well done. And of course, because Super Mario Advance they're... 4 is Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> The, I was going to say, the, the final game has the most convoluted title of Super Mario Advance 3, Super Mario Brothers 3. Fucking... Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Brothers 3. Un... Which I suppose means this is Super Mario Advance 3, Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island. See, and they dropped the Super Mario World 2. Apparently, you know, after the SNES, that was no longer canon to the name Yoshi's Island. But yes, so this is Super Mario Advance 3, Yoshi's Island. Um... Just a fantastic game ported to the Game Boy Advance uh, as part of this confusing Super Mario Advance series. Did you happen to play this one? I did happen to play this one. Um, this was actually, as we've mentioned multiple times on the show, um, I never had a Super Nintendo. This was my first exposure to Yoshi's Island. Mm. Awesome. So um, was it – And obviously, I was going to say you, you, know, you can't compare it to the SNES version, but have you played – are you aware of any differences between this and the SNES version at this point? <laughs> Yes, um, there was, as I recall, because um, I played this game, it was like, oh, this game's pretty good. And everyone's like, no, it sucks. You should play the original. <laughs> it's like, what? Um, apparently, there was like an additional map screen, and there were like changes in the levels, like certain levels had things added to them. Mm. Um, like, I know one of the levels had like extra red coins to them to make it slightly easier. Um and obviously the graphics were different and the music was different. Um, was people like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, and I mean this in the best possible way, Yoshi's Island fans are very particular. Like Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island is the greatest game ever. And everything after that has just been shit. Like, Man. oh yeah, the Game Boy Advance port, terrible. Yoshi's Island DS, terrible. Huh. Like, I had no idea it had such a fandom. <laughs> such you a know, particular fandom. <laughs> you know, the Mario fandom is weird. Yes. Um, Fandoms in but, general kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like the Mario fandom in particular. Yeah. And so, I say this as somebody who is a part of the Mario fandom. Right, exactly. Yeah. Game recognizes game. So, uh, you know, we've got a fantastic game with a fantastic soundtrack made slightly less fantastic by being part of the Game Boy Advance's uh, sound library. So we've got two fantastic songs from Super Mario Advance 3, Yoshi's Island, and composer Koji Kondo, maybe you've heard of him. Uh, we've got the athletic theme, and we've got the overworld theme. So, uh, David, no crying. Let's just listen to some, uh, some Yoshi's Island tunes. Thank you. 
I'm not gonna lie, I love the Game Boy Advance, but that soundtrack's kind of rough. Yeah, I mean, th- those melodies, you can't beat them, they're great, but man, that that sound is just rough. And I'm so glad that we say that as we've got two more Game Boy Advance <laughs> games to talk about. So um, maybe this next one leaned into the uh, the not-so-fantastic sound. It, like, seriously, it's right there in the title, David. Castlevania, Harmony of Dissonance. Maybe this game has a bad soundtrack and it knows it. I'm trying to remember because there were three Castlevania games on Game Boy Advance. I don't think this is the one I played. I think I played Aria of Sorrow, which was the last one. Ah, okay. I'm trying to think of what the other one is. Because there was, I think, Circle of the Moon and then Harmony of Dissonance and then Aria of Sorrow. Yes, there was. And apparently we either talked about Circle of the Moon and I forgot about it or we totally missed it last year when we did the show. Uh, but yeah, this is the uh, the second one. This is Harmony of Dissonance, uh, not Aria of Sorrow. Um, I mean, none of the Castlevania games on Game Boy Advance are bad. Like, they're all really good games. And right. they carry on that Symphony of the Night, Metroidvania style. I, th- I was waiting for a butt. <laughs> no, that end sentence. Yeah, okay. Like, they're all, they're all really good. Yeah, like, cool. Yeah, all got- of the handheld Castlevania games, except for the original Game Boy ones, um, are really good yeah no you know they really if they haven't released these as part of a collection yet i really would love like a game boy advance and ds castlevania collection because those are the the biggest blind spot for me in the series and i would love to play them you know i'd, I'd give konami 20 bucks on that <laughs> so they actually i forget what it's called but there is a castlevania collection on switch that's the three game boy advance games just the, those they, three or do they also include the ds ones because those i'm also after <laughs> No, just the three. Oh. Unfortunately, they haven't ported the DS ones. If they ever do, I'll be all over that shit for Portrait of Ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely the three GBA Castlevania games are available for download on Switch Word. because they're perfect for Switch. Uh, yes, I would agree. Um, so, David, you don't know so much about this one, so let's do a pop quiz. Which Belmont are you playing as in Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance? This game is set 50 years after Simon Belmont vanquished Dracula's curse. So who are you playing as? I want to say Julius, but I feel like Julius is the first. It's not Julius. It is. You're in the right ballpark in terms of the first two letters of the name. It's Simon Belmont's grandson, Juiced Belmont. Of course. Yes, Juiced. Uh, Yeah, I don't know where they... uh, Got that name, or if I'm saying it right, you know, it sounds like Juice Belmont, which you know sounds like a cool football player from the '90s. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's Castlevania game on the Game Boy Advance. David says those are good. I believe him. You know, it's uh, you know, Igarashi still producing them. You know, these uh, the, like they uh, they seem like they had hit their stride for a few years here. Like it's like they put all their good resources onto the handheld ones. And I mean, what the fuck were they doing on the consoles at this time? Not so, not a whole lot, right? Um, you know, what are what are your Castlevania games on the on the home consoles? They were they were putting all the good shit on the handhelds. So uh we got two fantastic songs from Castlevania, Harmony of Dissonance, uh, and of course composers Soshiro Hokai and uh, series composer Michiru Yamane, maybe you've heard of her. Uh we have got Successor of Fate, that's the theme of Juice Belmont, and we've got Demon Cave of Skeletons. Sounds like my kind of place.
See, I feel like that sound works better for Castlevania than it does for Super Mario Advance. And I feel like there's a reason for it. I feel like people need to recognize on the Game Boy Advance, you couldn't make songs that sound pleasant. You had to make <laughs> things that sound kind of scary and tinny and like a, like an organ from hell. Um, so, you know, Castlevania Harmony of Dissonance nailed it. <laughs> You know, I want to argue with you, but I don't think I can. <laughs> I simply can't cite examples to argue against that. So, uh, moving on to a uh, another you know interesting entry in a long running series. I think this is the based on what I know of it, the first uh, entry in a somewhat long running spin off series of uh, of games. David, you had your Game Boy out, your Game Boy Advance, excuse me, and you've played your Castlevania, you played your Super Mario. You know, what other, uh, what other NES series is there uh, showing up on your Game Boy Advance that you're looking to play? Considering you said it's a spinoff, I feel like this is going to be a Mega Man Battle Network game. Oh, almost, David. No, this, uh, you know, this is Mega Man Zero. Oh, Mega Man Zero. Mm-hmm. Played those? No, because these <laughs> games are like kick you in the dick hard. Yeah, man, I tried playing these not uh, not too long ago. I'm, uh, I, uh, I I was not prepared. It uh, it didn't go my way. <laughs> I definitely remember like as they were releasing anniversary collections, like you know the Mega Man Legacy Collection, Mega Man X Legacy Com- Collection, and then they released the Mega Man Zero Collection. I was like, oh, why? Yeah. Like, no. I can't remember. I need to pull up my Switch and see if I actually downloaded that Zero Collection or if I emulated it somehow. Um, but yeah, I uh, I put a little time into Mega Man Zero recently. And uh, yeah, I'm not good at it. Um, and I, It's I, one I, of those <laughs> things where you think it looks really fun and then you start to play it and get your ass handed to you in the first level. It's like, yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. And there's like cryptic stuff that I you know, don't quite understand, like... Uh, harvesting futuristic chips or something. I don't know how important it is to equip things. I just want to play a classic Mega Man kind of game, baby. As Zero, preferably, Zero is dope. So let me play a Mega Man game in which I play as Zero that uh, isn't super confusing and, uh, you know, I'd be into that. But um kind of wish I, uh, I liked this a little bit more than I did because uh, Zero, I think, is very cool. And yeah. I think, you know... I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, Mega Man, like, story and canon, I think, is a little bit silly, but, like, they were trying something here. You know, Mega Man's got a big, crazy canon to it, so why not have something insane where, you know, Zero has been fighting in a war and has been resurrected, and I think the bad guy might be Mega Man resurrected, too. There's all kinds of weird, bleak shit going on in this game. Um See, that's one of the things that, like, I both love and hate about the Mega Man series is, like, the Mega Man series started off as, you're a robot... And a like angry associate of your creator just reprogrammed a bunch of robots. Yeah. Go stop them from destroying the world. Right. And then it turned into like 500 years after the Elf Wars. Yeah. You've been resurrected. <laughs> like what the fuck? Exactly. There. The, you know, it really. I need a I need some gaps filled in on this canon because <laughs> you know somehow yeah, after 500 years of Elfin Wars, Zero's back and I don't know, man. But you know, I I'm a simple Mega Man fan. Give me eight more weird robots and let me blow them up. That's all I want to do. But um. Uh, the game seems cool, and I, you know, I, uh, I support you know more uh, more games with Zero in them. So uh, we've got two fantastic songs from Mega Man Zero and composer Ippo Yamada. We've got Crash, the boss battle, and we've got Neo Arcadia. Let's see if they nailed the sound on this one.
Yeah, I gotta give it up to them, man. They uh, they kind of nailed their sound because uh, again, they're not trying to make uh, happy Koji Kano music. They're trying to make bleak future robot killing music, and uh, yeah, they kind of did a great job on that. Sounds good. Yeah, mm. capture the vibe. Uh, so speaking of capturing a vibe, let's talk about a soundtrack for a game from one of gaming video game music's all time vibe masters. I'm talking about it out of order. David, this is a David Wise soundtrack we got here, uh, buddy. And, you know, when it's David Wise, what series is he composing for? Um, you know, <laughs> I've... Okay, better question. When it's David Wise, what company is he composing for? Is this that Banjo Pilot game? <laughs> God, no, David. God, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> this is a game that I know that we both played. And that I don't like very much. It's made by Rare. It's a GameCube joint. It's a spinoff from a series of games that I like a great deal. It's um, it's a break from the series traditions, and I don't think it does it particularly well. It's Star Fox Adventures. Oh, okay. Do you agree? Wait, was Star Fox Adventures? Oh, okay. No. I, see, I was thinking of Star Fox Assault, which yep. was done by Namco. Right. Um, no, I I kind of liked Star Fox Adventures. I mean, I kind of um, liked it too. I like the I like the Star Foxness of it. I like dinosaur planets, and you know, I like beating things up. I just feel like it didn't need to be a Star Fox game. <laughs> I was gonna say I I liked this game mainly because I just pretended it wasn't a Star Fox game. Yeah, and it got significantly better after that. You know. Um, because yeah, I like been a good the way to action go. <laughs> adventureness of it. I like the combat, like whacking people with a staff and everything. Mm -hmm. I like the dinosaurs, but like, yeah, there was no reason this needed to be Star Fox. No, I don't know why it ended up being that way. I remember seeing previews of Dinosaur Planet and Nintendo Power for the Nintendo 64 and thinking, wow, that sounds cool. A fucking like big dinosaur exploring game from Rare. Like I'm thinking Jet Force Gemini, but with dinosaurs. And then it turned out it became Star Fox Adventures for some reason. I'm like, no, what? Why? <laughs> Don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think all in all, it's a fine game. Run around beating stuff up. Like you said, you know, you talked about earlier, Sly Cooper having staff. This one, Star Fox definitely uses a staff. So, gotta love that. It introduced, I guess, Crystal to the series. You gotta love Crystal, right? I feel like that's a loaded statement. Just because <laughs> if you say, I really like Crystal, people will take that and run with it. Yes. Yes, um, I will, David. So, <laughs> say it if you I, dare. <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoy <laughs> Crystal as a character added to the Star Fox series. All right. And now speaking also, we spoke earlier about uh, Triceratopses in Adventure Island 3. How do you feel about Tricky the Triceratops in this? You know, I'm not going to lie. Not my favorite Triceratops in video games. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Take that, Tricky. I mean, I th I'm, they're fine. But like, yeah, not... Not my favorite. John, are you drinking rubbing alcohol? Yes. <laughs> yeah, to, okay. To cleanse my brain of the memories of Star Fox Adventures. <laughs> no. For, for the listeners, unless John cuts this off, he's drinking a, a liquid that's out of like a giant brown bottle. I'm, it's, like it's called a growler, David. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, you know, it's from a local brewery. I had a 32-ounce pour from a local brewery, and I took it home, and I'm, instead of pouring it into a glass and dirtying a glass, I am drinking straight from the growler, as is tradition for Game That Tune gems. Um, I mean, it just, <laughs> It does you know, look like I'm it, drinking out of a large, <laughs> old-school medicine bottle. <laughs> it seriously looks like a bottle of rubbing alcohol. Ah, it's good, baby. Um, so we got two fantastic songs from Star Fox Adventures. 
uh, and composer, David Wise. Some might call him legendary video game music composer, David Wise. I sure would. Some might, some might call him close personal friend of the show, David Wise. Hey, we're working on it, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's coming soon. Uh, David Wise, that tune. Um, so we've got two fantastic songs. We've got Galleon Raid and we've got the Krizoa Palace.
Very good music from uh, from David Wise and from Star Fox Adventure soundtrack. Not the most like memorable of melodies or anything like that, but just you know really nicely done tunes for Star Star Fox Adventures. I would expect no less from such a legend. And very um, good music from a very good composer. Dare I say it? Yes. And now moving on to a game that I would say also has very good music. Some might agree, some might disagree. It's uh, you know I don't know some of the music in this game a bit divisive. This game in general perhaps a bit divisive some might say this game barely a game at all but david it's september of 2002 it's the first entry in one of our most favorite series it's a gamecube game that man it captured our hearts and minds and made us think i think i need to do that with my time what a what a game what a what a thing that nintendo cooked up for the gamecube david it's animal crossing <sighs> yeah, just now think about how many hours in the years that <laughs> ensued that you put into these little worlds, man. Uh, did you play much of the original? Or, I mean, this one, I guess, I, I don't know if this qualifies as the original, but the, this is the first one that got released in America, obviously. Did I play <laughs> much of the original? Did you? Um, yes. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. I played, see, every Animal Crossing game that I play I have put probably double as much time as you think I have yes, put. Somehow your time in the series expands exponentially. <laughs> I I truly genuinely love this series. Um and it it feels weird to say because it seems so negative to say, but I don't really know why I love this series as much as I do because you're just running around like chatting with people and like doing errands and catching bugs and it doesn't seem like it's that interesting but there's something about it that just grabs me and it it kind of goes back to if i can get like super metaphysical about stuff like i remember there's a quote from shigeru miyamoto talking about like game design and it's like you basically just make a garden and if you make it well enough that people enjoy being in this little garden then like nothing else matters and that's kind of how i feel about animal crossing like you just it's enjoyable to make connections with these animals and Mm -hmm. it's enjoyable to run these little errands and do these little things like 
And even today, I was talking with, um, we recently had some of our tunas visit Chicago. Mm. Uh, it was super fun. And I was taking them on the L and I was like, oh yeah, by the way, here's where I get on the train and here's where I get off the train for work. And this is why I have so many hours in Animal Crossing. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it was Mork actually, who was like, yeah, I definitely see that. Like Animal Crossing would be perfect for this. Like yeah. it's that nice little chill commute type game. Mm -hmm. And I, oh God, I love Animal Crossing so much. Yeah, I do too. And I, you know, obviously I wish I had a commute uh, on which I could play more handheld games. But this back in the day, man, this was strictly on the GameCube, baby. And it was um, even then captivating. Uh, obviously the, uh, you know, I don't know, the home base nature of it and the, non-online nature of it made uh, sharing your worlds with people a little bit more difficult. Do you remember swapping GameCube memory cards and this game took up an entire memory card? <laughs> I was going to say, but there was also something super cool about like having your whole village Just on in a the memory box. card. Like, <laughs> come on, visit and like meet yep. all my people. And I remember being so mad when like I would go visit your town or whatnot and my favorite villager left to move to your town yeah like, no why did you take them exactly yes you know i didn't mean to man but i was happy they came over you know i got lobo that's who i was always after um yeah just a a cool series um and just a fun just weird little game that you know just i'm glad that it continued being a thing uh, you know the animal crossing uh, new horizons recently uh, has been named officially the greatest selling game in japanese history um really it's, yeah it's uh, sold more copies in japan than any other game so animal crossing still going strong baby and uh man am i happy about it so we've got two fantastic songs from animal crossing for the gamecube from composer kazumi totaka we've got kk cruisin and from composer kente nagata we've got the shockingly funky 2 a.m. music. I mean, that's the thing. There's so many songs you could pick from this game, you know, between all the KK songs and all the fucking just hourly music, the variations for the, you know, the different weather and, and things. So I just, it's tough to narrow it down to two. So chose a couple of my favorites. And I was shocked to learn recently that 2 a.m. for some reason, the hours at which no one would be playing the game are funky as hell. So let's, uh, let's go to the Animal Crossing. <laughs>
Why is that the music that plays at 2 a.m. in Animal Crossing? <laughs> like, is that the sound of being kicked out of a bar? Is that last call music? What the fuck, man? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I wish that was the song that got was playing. The lights got come kicked up. out of a bar. <laughs> Everybody out. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, but man, what a game! What a uh, what a soundtrack! And uh, we're closing out this immensely stacked 2002 segment with uh, another big series debut. This one, David, it's on the PlayStation 2. I'm pretty sure you've played this game. I'm pretty sure I've played this game. Uh, if memory serves, I played it, loved it, 
got a tattoo from it. And then the rest of the series happened, and maybe uh, maybe it's not my most uh, you know longstanding uh, love uh, lovable tattoo. But uh, David, I think I know what this <laughs> is. Yeah, rack your brain on my tattoos, and let's talk about Kingdom Hearts, man. Oh fuck! I was gonna say Super Mario Brothers three. Yeah, it, you know it, it. Super Mario Advance four came out same month. <laughs> um, yeah, original Kingdom Hearts, man. What a what a fucking game. What a uh, what an interesting game that somehow was able to get me into. I don't know whatever this is. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like this was many people's introduction to. I don't know bizarre anime type uh, trope characters, and you know. I don't know, man. I don't know what it is that drew me to this game, but I got into it. <laughs> I just want to clarify, are we talking about Kingdom Hearts or Kingdom Hearts 2? Kingdom Hearts. Okay. The original. Um, okay. Yeah. Big time, man. Um, I, I know exactly what drew me into the original Kingdom Hearts. Well, see, yeah. It's, it's a genius move. Put some Disney characters in a game with some, you know, like giant shoot anime characters and... It drew me in, baby. Like, you know, this I think this is one of the first games that I ever fully recognized. Like, oh, man, that's just going after people with Disney nostalgia. I'll play it. <laughs> like, yeah. See, and that's the thing. Like, I feel like most of the people that I talked to were like, oh, it's going to be this cool action RPG with Final Fantasy characters. Uh -huh. And I was somebody who was like, wait, hold up. I get to go to Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. Fuck yeah. Right, exactly. Like, you know, I, I was fully into the Disney aspects of it. I was hoping that there was going to, frankly, be more of the Final Fantasy action stuff. But uh, what we ended up getting? A pretty delightful game. Um. So yeah, it's uh man, Kingdom Hearts. Um so David, you played this one and the second one and then I'm guessing you played I don't know, none of the ones after that. <laughs> I played the first one. Um I I'm trying to remember. I think I beat the first one. Mm. Uh definitely played and beat the second one. Yep. Uh oh, actually no, I take it back. I never beat the first one because you had to fight Ansem in Destiny Islands. Uh -huh. And I don't think I could ever get through those like multiple phases. Uh -huh. Um definitely played and beat the second one. I played a little bit of Dream Drop Distance on the 3DS. Um But yeah, I definitely enjoyed the first one. I really enjoyed the second one, and then the series just kind of like went off the yep. deep end. Yep. It kind of lost its way. Uh, kind of wish it hadn't, but you know, it is what it is. I, uh, I mean, definitely the first one, like hack and slash action RPG, where you go to Disney worlds, like it, it got a hold of something. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like that's the thing. It's you know, it's not even loaded with like you know the time contemporary Disney stuff. I mean, what's the newest thing that was in you know Kingdom Hearts? Was it Tarzan? <laughs> I, mean, like, I was gonna say I feel like Tarzan. Yeah. So I mean, like you know, yeah. If you got nostalgia for like fucking you know the Sword in the Stone and Winnie the Pooh and Alice in Wonderland and you know, I guess. Uh, I mean, I'll, you, you know, had Agrabah. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say Aladdin, and eventually you get Beauty and the Beast. Um, I think Lion King was not in this one. I feel like no, were... Lion King was two. Yeah, uh, for sure. And um, you did go to um, Atlantica from The Little Mermaid, yep. and it didn't suck. Right, and also this had uh, uh, Halloween Town from fucking uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Night before that felt incredibly played out. That felt like at the time, like whoa, one, I didn't know that was a Disney thing, and two. That's fucking great. And then, of course, that just became, you know, with the hot topification of everything, it kind of got played out. 
I definitely remember when this game came out, everyone was like, whoa, Nightmare Before Christmas. And I was like, I was that I was that asshole. It's like, yeah, Nightmare Before Christmas released by Touchstone, right. which is a subsidiary of Disney. So they own it. Yep. Like, yeah, that's a thing. I didn't know it at the time, but I was happy to learn it through this. So, yeah, uh, just, a, just a fun game. You know, uh, as a guy that grew up loving Secret of Mana, a game in which you get to run around and bash things with a sword is right up my alley. So very fun. Um you know, I, uh, I love Kingdom Hearts. I like the second one and the rest of the series. Uh, I don't want to say it's dead to me, but close to it. Um, so <laughs> I, I will say I had a lot of fun with the first Kingdom Hearts game. I definitely think Kingdom Hearts 2 was the superior game. But one thing that I loved and appreciated in the first game was when you got to the boss fight in Agrabah and you had to fight Jafar the genie. You actually didn't fight him. You just found Iago with the lamp and mm -hmm. just beat the shit out of him. Yep. Oh, I mean, there were plenty of awesome little touches like that. It really is a well, you know, just a well done love letter to Disney things through a strange Squaresoft video game lens. So it's uh, it's great. It's got an immense fucking soundtrack uh, from composer Yoko Shimomura. Maybe you've heard of her. And uh, I'm not going to do the played out thing and play simple and clean. The song that, you know, also got me into, you know, anime uh, kind of lady singers back in the day. You know, made me think I was a really, uh, you know. Uh, sensitive guy that like listening to you know girls singing about you know meeting their uh, meeting their boyfriend's fathers or whatever. Um, so we're not doing simple and clean. We're doing three fantastic songs, all from Yoko Shimomura. We've got the opening theme, dearly beloved. We've got shrouding dark cloud, and we've got hand in hand. So David, let us take each other's hands and blast off on adventure through Kingdom Hearts, and then we'll land in 2012, which will be less delightful than Kingdom Hearts.
All right, David, we made it, and we expand, you know, we just uh, used all our energy on these previous segments, so it's time to admit, this 2012 segment, it's got some decent tunes, but I'm not going to have a whole lot to say about these games. I don't know about you, man. Um, yeah, I, I like a couple of these, and I know you like a couple of these, but I think we can kind of rapid fire through these a little bit, just to get people more tunes and less us talking about how we don't know about something. What do you say, David? I am so in favor of things that involve less work from me. Fantastic. Then, David, tell me every single thing you know about Far Cry 3. Not a goddamn thing. <laughs> right? Um, that's a series of first-person shooters that I have just simply not played. I uh, I like first-person shooter, okay? I like a modern first-person shooter a little less than I like a first-person shooter from 2002 or so. Um, but yeah, I haven't gotten into the Far Cry games. They seem cool. Open-world first-person shooter games. Um, they seem like they've gotten big production budgets recently and, like, managed to hire actors to play uh, play characters in them. Uh, like, real, you know, like, big-name movie and TV actors are popping up in this. I think the last one had the one of the bad guys from Breaking Bad. I don't know. Haven't played them, uh, but they seem pretty cool. David, do you object to me simply playing the tunes now? I just want to add, I believe that the games have, like, tropical island settings which i'm always in favor of yes and please proceed with the music yes open world tropical island first person shooter game far cry 3 from composer brian tyler we've got journey into madness and we've got further
yeah, that is uh, that's suitably epic music for what I can only assume is a uh, fairly epic series of first-person shooter games. I really should play a Far Cry. I feel like uh, you know, if I catch those on a Black Friday sale at some point, I need to catch up on that series. But I don't know, man. Like I said, I only kind of like modern first-person shooters. And that is to say, our next game, I only kind of like this game, even though I know it's a well-liked series. David, have you played any of the Borderlands games? Is that the one with, like, the small, scrappy, like, sassy robot companion? You're talking about Claptrap? Yeah, he's in this. Yeah. No, I've not played them. <laughs> yeah, no. So you, you didn't put any time into Borderlands 2, huh? <laughs> Borderlands 2? Yeah, specifically. No. Yeah, nope. Um, I didn't put very much time into it either. It's uh, it's pretty fun. It's um, got... Uh, Fun first-person shooter stuff. I played more of the original Borderlands, um, and then this one. I don't know why. I, I I feel like I bought it, and then I don't know. It just kind of it kind of didn't grab me the same uh, same way the first one did. And but they, of course, you know, the series has remained successful. They went on and uh, released a prequel, and they released Borderlands Three. And uh, you know, the guy on the cover of the game blew his head off in a whole new way. Uh, you, you've drawn a comic about that in the past, right, David? <laughs> I did. Yeah. That's like one of your most famous uh, famous comics. Uh, yeah. I think it actually got pushed into like Reddit, but like no credit was given to me. Don't so. you love the internet, David? <laughs> no. No, I don't. Uh, yeah. Except for our fans and um, people at GameNet or GTT.club, GameNetune.club. Yep. Good, uh, please, good fans there. Please fix that in editing. Good social media, uh, game that tune club. So, David, before we play the songs, you get to choose between one of four character classes in Borderlands Two. Are you going to be the commando, the siren, the assassin, or the gunzerker? I'm going to go with the siren because I assume that's the girl. Yes, she can uh, trap people in energy spheres and uh, move around them and do stuff like that. Um. I'm impressed with your ability to resist the term gun zerker. So uh, we got two fantastic songs from Borderlands 2 and composer Jesper Kidd. We've got Firestone. And from composer Chris Velasco, we've got Vogue Fight.
yeah, man, good tunes. I like uh, like some of the westerny vibes to it. You know, I like uh, I like the idea of the game more than I enjoyed playing the game. Um, so speaking of games that uh, I like the idea of more than I like playing them, uh, let's talk about another series of fighting games, David. One that we haven't yet brought up in this episode. Um, did you know that there is a Dead or Alive Five, David? <laughs> No, <laughs> only because I know there was Dead or Alive 4, because that's the one that had a female space marine from Halo, Ooh. and I feel like the series kind of peaked there. Yeah, it probably did. I feel like it probably peaked before that. You know, People that know about the series might be able to argue that. I don't know enough about this series. Um, it's fighting games made by uh, Tecmo, so I think Ninja Gaiden shows up in them occasionally. I do believe Ryu Hayabusa is like a character. <laughs> That's who I meant to say. His, his name's not Ninja Gaiden. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, a uh, you know, good-looking and cool series of fighting games that were usually on systems that I didn't have, and that I was kind of counting on Jesse to be here to talk about because I know he played them and then played some beach volleyball of them, and uh, now he's not here. But this was the fifth um, one coming out for uh, PlayStation Three and Three Sixty, so maybe uh, maybe I should have played it by now. I mean, I definitely played Dead or Alive 4. I did not play 5. Right. Um, maybe 5 was a drastic improvement. I doubt it because it didn't feature a woman in power armor. Right. But, you know. I feel like a lot of fighting games that came out for, you know, PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 were not the best versions of things. Like, I feel like, you know, Soul Calibur uh, kind of lost its way. Um you know, Tekken 6 was famously not very good. Uh, I feel like, you know, some of these series that got their start in the late 90s, early 2000s, they didn't really find their way on the PlayStation 3. And that's all I could speculate about Dead or Alive 5. But we've got two fantastic songs from Dead or Alive 5. We've got Like a Dragon and we've got I'm a Fighter. David, it's not a phase. It's who I am.
Never show you weakness, get bash for something you may have uttered These hungry canines wanna eat me like a breast so buttered Still struggling for a touch, truly wanna get absolutely cluttered Is dead or alive? What would you do? Would you let the other ones fool you run? I want with views too crude I won't bow down No one can stop me It's mostly my battle against my own shadow I kept on stepping up my game My skills to get the hell out of same current endurance and we just weren't on the same page Your arguments became way too recurrent Love is power, however, let alone it turn sour Cause we kept missing out of what just got shallow every hour No other way to it, just don't be to will not be to will not lose to So I will not let anything get in my path I just wanna Get to my nerves and try to steer Correctly, fulfill tasks collectively Basically, peel the skin of fruits Effectively, a bit excessively Destiny a little bit by painting my life aesthetically Cutting the years of maybe life and golden Distressingly, hey, I'm living in vividly I try to live it the way I live it Gotta be killing it If I wasn't, I'll be dead Sometimes it's not just force, it's more determination to score for the opportunity from next door Haters deplore, my thoughts, my actions I ignore My faith is way too strong for them, I still stand tall The day I lose to myself is the death of me Which means day I stop is the day I die Deliberately, still won't bow down to you or to me myself
That's, uh, I have to assume that's an end credits theme or something. I was going to say, that's not really a great music to fight to. Uh, the first song, good. Second one, a little bit emotional for fighting game tunes. But, um, you know, fun stuff. So, David, I want to know also if you played this next fighting game. Obviously, you wouldn't be playing it in September of 2012 because uh, I only really paid attention to this game once it came out on the Wii U. The Wii U is not coming out until November. But this. You don't know that. Maybe mm -hmm. I was playing it before then. Yeah, maybe you were. Did you have. Which one did you have? You had PS3 or you had a 360, right? I had a 360. I mm -hmm. didn't have a PS3. That's fine. So in September, you were running out and buying that hot new game uh, in a long-running series of fighting games. You were buying Tekken Tag Tournament 2. Yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> Provided there are no further questions. <laughs> this game fucking rules. Uh, you know, we don't need to say much about it. Uh, I feel like my love for Tekken Tag Tournament 2 is well documented. This game has, I think, every character in the Tekken series up until this point. Uh, and it's the tag fighting mechanics. It's a blast. Um, the soundtrack is immense and full of wonderful Tekken dubstep craziness. Um, it's a, it's a game I love very much. Obviously, I didn't start playing it until a couple of months from now. You know, in November, the Wii U edition comes out. And that's when I get my hands wet or my feet wet with uh, Tekken Tech Tournament 2. But great fucking I, game. I feel like I could have played this on the 360, but I definitely did play it briefly on the Wii U because yeah. of the bizarre nintendo costumes it's, it's like they forced your hand you had to at least try it <laughs> like it's, you know please it's, you know look at these characters in these costumes look at this insanely jankily made mushroom battle mode <laughs> but uh we got two fantastic songs from tekken tag tournament 2 and the immense uh, namco sound team We've got the Tech Step Fountain. That's the Fountain de Trevi, uh, the uh, Italy stage. And we've got It's Not a Tuna, the Bountiful Sea uh, fishing boat stage that was reappropriated for Pokémon Tournament. So uh, let's do some Hell yeah. Tekken Tag Tournament 2 tunes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
offense, dead or alive, fine. That is music to fight to. That's fucking God. Oh, just David, I want to fight you right now. Something about that beat. Fucking bring it on. Yeah, something about that womp womp and that fucking beat, man. It just gets me cranked up. So, David, another game that I was hoping Jesse was going to be here to talk about because I'm betting you didn't play it. But hey, maybe I'm wrong. I have heard you know someone in the past mention this about you, that David is faster than light. Were they talking about you and how much you love this game, or did I misunderstand something? Were they talking about something else? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I think clearly they were talking about this game. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you love Faster Than Light. You must defend yourself by <laughs> talking about this game. Slower than a tortoise, baby. Yeah. I take my time. God. Um... I love the implication that you were slower than a tortoise, like it's exhausting and just boring. <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> uh, so you didn't play FTL, huh? I did not. Yeah. Um, you run a spaceship, I think. I was going to say, I feel like this is like a procedural. Yes. <laughs> a procedurally generated, randomized spaceship game mm-hmm. i think it was and i'm yeah. like half interested in that yeah i kind of am too I'm into spaceship games i'm not interested in like randomized versions that's the thing i i really don't like the recent emphasis on randomly generated fucking things like i kind of like games where i can memorize what's going on like i don't want to learn the mechanics and apply them to something new all the time i'm just an old school guy i want to learn where things are in the level trial by error get things done beat the game that way i don't want to have to actually get all that good at the game but that's just me i'm i'm old school like that um well and that's one of the things i feel like people in our like age bracket generation like learned pattern recognition and then it's like oh yeah the entire game is going to be randomized like well how the fuck do i beat this yeah now more importantly than you learning patterns is you learning the you know esoteric mechanics of our game and use them to solve the patterns i mean it it makes sense it's a it's the way you know gameplay you know can and kind of should evolve is you know you know you as a game designer put people give people the tools to solve your game and then you make the game continue to create itself over and over again so it never gets old i just think it gets kind of old uh i would rather just have a nice you know game that i learn all of i beat it and that's that those are my favorite experiences not the ones that i have to keep going back and playing over and over again that's just me Agreed. but hey uh ftl great soundtrack some you know nice chill ass space music so we've got two songs from composer ben prunty we've got the milky way battle and we've got rockman explorer theme
it's good too. It's good space. You know, I wish Johnny was here with the soundboard. We would have uh, would have hit the soundboard several times by now, but alas. David. Space. Thank you. We're approaching nearly the end of our show. We've got our second to last game. It's a game that I haven't played. And I feel bad for having not played it. Because, god damn, it's wacky. Do you even I know about when, this? I love when games start that way. It's yeah. like, we've got a great game. I haven't played it. Right. I mean, you know, based on what I know of this game, it's wacky as hell. And it's kind of great. And no, uh, I never played it. Uh, I sure wish I had, though, because, J- David, this game is Tokyo Jungle. Were you about to call me Jesse right now? Uh, no, I was going to call you David because, you know, uh, okay. my brain was going Tokyo Jungle, so I almost said David. <laughs> um, I'm not thinking straight, David. I'm in I'm in marathon. I'm in sprint mode to the end of this episode. So, David, it, it, do you have any idea what this Tokyo Jungle is? This fucking crazy ass game that I found for <laughs> this episode? <laughs> I know of this game, and I feel bad because I also have not played it, but as I recall, it's like a post-apocalyptic game where you're playing as an animal, kind of like Several. exploring a city. Um, Tokyo. It. Well, yeah. It kind of <laughs> reminds me of... Um, there was a comic series, and I am going to do my best to fill the... <laughs> space as I try to figure it out. Um no, not Kitty Pride. Fuck. Um there I, there was a <laughs> comic Pride series. Is a different, by, different game. <laughs> no, there was a comic series. I'm pretty sure it was by Brian Michael Bendis. Um I think it was called Pride of Baghdad. Mm. And it was about like during the Iraqi war, like a group of lions that got out of a zoo. Um, and I feel like it was very similar to this game where there was some kind of catastrophe and you're just playing like an animal in Tokyo, just kind of like exploring around and mm. making do. Uh, it's Brian K. Vaughn, not Bendis. Okay. Yes, I found it. Pride of Baghdad. Lions in war-torn Baghdad. <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel like that was kind of a, not spiritual successor, but like spiritual joint sure you know just kind of thing. yeah maybe maybe this game wasn't necessarily honoring that but they have kind of the same uh, same vibe same energy you know pride of baghdad some lions get loose from uh the zoo after it's bombed in baghdad in tokyo jungle the the world has ended the humans are gone and the animals are just kind of doing their thing around the city uh and you're playing as various sized animals you know you're playing as predators and you're playing as grazers the predators are even things like uh you know cute little house pets plays like a pomeranian that has to learn how to be a fucking alpha predator uh you play as you know deer going around trying to survive and sneak from uh other uh, characters trying to kill them it's an utterly bizarre game in which you play as animals and you try and survive you try and kill other things you try to breed and create uh, you know, packs to hunt with. I think it's um, it's utterly strange, and it's got an utterly strange soundtrack. David, this game is just loaded with like crazy energetic techno music to hunt and fucking you know kill things to. It's it's an interesting, interesting game. I feel like they don't make games as weird as this anymore, or they you know if they do, they're just kind of you don't hear about them. They're like down in the eShop somewhere, and you got to find them. You know, they don't I get a physical be- release. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, a game where you play as an animal and your goal is to feed or fuck, like, 
That doesn't sound quite so strange. No, like, no. That's what animals do. That's true. Yeah, no, given that you are playing as wild animals, it's not so strange that the game's about feeding and fucking. <laughs> but it's uh, it's just interesting to play a game where, like, you're playing as characters that, you know, don't talk or anything. You're just playing as wild animals, fucking each other up um, in a fucking desolate Tokyo. It's kind of dope. And we've got two fantastic songs from Tokyo Jungle and composer, uh, bear with me, uh, from composer Taku Sakaki Barbara. That didn't. That sounds like I said Sakaki Barbara. Taku Sakaki ba, sa, mm, ta, Taku Sak mm, Taku Sakaki Habra. Damn, I'm fucking this up. Um, it's I a, really <laughs> hope this is like the post-credit section. No, I'm not even cutting it anymore. <laughs> uh, from composer Taku S, we've got two songs from Tokyo Jungle. <laughs> Uh, we've got Act 1, From Pampered to Survival Mode, and Act 7, The Lioness's Hunting Diary.
David, stop laughing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I know you're going to have to cut this out, but I just really love the Takahi Saku. <laughs> it's, it's tough, man. <laughs> I, I'm trying to be respectful. Some, you know, sometimes there's just like an extra syllable in a name and it throws my whole fucking cadence off, but I'm not editing any of this shit out. I'm proud of this game and it's fantastic soundtrack and it's great composer whose name I struggle to fucking pronounce. So love you. I'm, Tokyo proud Jungle. Of, I'm proud of the next game we have, which is David. It's our final game of the night. And it's one that I saved for last because I knew that you would love to talk about it. And man, I hope I'm right about that. David, it's a fantastic update of a classic series. Uh, it's a way forward game. It's a beat up game. It's Double Dragon Neon. Oh! <laughs> Please tell me Fuck that you yeah. fucking played and loved this game. I want to finish I it strong, have, baby. <laughs> I have played this game, and I did love this game, because this game, it... Mm, so this game kind of took Double Dragon and just doubled down on the like 80s movie nostalgia. Yes. Like you literally have a high five move, a high five move in this game. Good. Um it yeah, oh god. It's I'm trying to remember the name of the character and I don't want to look it up because it's not No. It's not <laughs> Skullamania. But there is like a, I, I want to say it's Skullmageddon. There's nope. like a dope skull boss that they brought back for this game. Um, yeah, they just went super tongue in cheek, 80s nostalgia for this game. And yeah, Double Dragon Neon was fucking great. Hmm. Awesome, man. I, uh, I'm sad to say that I didn't actually pick this one up and play it. Yeah, I uh, feel like I really should have. Because, yeah, it, I loved Double Dragon games. And Double Dragon remade on you know modern systems with some possibly better fight mechanics and a uh, rad-ass 80s action aesthetic, you know, and, like, crazy-ass shredding guitar soundtracks. I kind of feel like I really missed the train on this one. I really feel like I should have played it. I honestly, like, John... There's not a lot of games that I tell you that you should play, mm -hmm. but Double Dragon Neon is at the top of this list. Okay. Like, you would love this game. Yeah, I've got, I kind of love beat-em-ups, and, you know, just my fondness for Double Dragon. Would, I mean, I played the shitty Double Dragon 4 that came out on PlayStation 3 or whatever, 4. I, I can fucking, you know, I can muster up a couple of bucks for this, you know, for this fucking, like, actual rad update. Um, I mean, as much as you love Double Dragon and, like, 80s B-movie action movies, like, you would really like this game. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking A, man. I can't believe I missed it. Uh, it's it's like out on Switch, right? Also, there's different, like, special moves or, like, story tidbits or whatnot that are specifically given to you by collectible VHS tapes. <laughs> like, it's... It knows exactly what it's doing. Hell yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to pick it up. It is out on Switch, right? I think that it got ported to Switch. Yeah, I think it is. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to play this because, yeah, I'm looking at the poster now. They've got like an 80s fucking movie style poster. And yeah, I think the character you mentioned it is Skullmageddon. That's a fucking, I mean, God, what a name. What a guy. Uh, I need to punch this guy right now. <laughs> um 
Yeah, it looks fucking great. And uh, it's got a great soundtrack. It's a great way forward joint. And I think it's a great close. I think it uh, I think it brings this episode full circle. You know, uh, some, some nostalgia for the 80s in a 2012 package. So, David, thank you for being here, man. What a great episode this has been. Um, and everybody, thank you so much for listening. It's been a fantastic episode of Game That Tune. Jims, thanks for sticking with us at Patreon, patreon.com slash Game That Tune. We love all you guys for uh, subscribing. Tell your friends. Uh, get people signing up. Come on to Patreon, have a lot of fun, uh, and enjoy this and our many other fantastic features. And David, let's go home with three fantastic songs from Double Dragon Neon. And composer who? Jake Kaufman. Maybe you've heard of him. We've got The City Streets. That's a remix of Double Dragon 1 Mission 1. And then we've got some oddly named things. I'm sure that I would understand this had I played the game. We've got Space Dojo 2, which apparently is a song called Firebird by Billy and the Breakers. And we've got Countryside 2, which is a song called Glad I Am by the Lee Brothers. So I believe we're playing fictitious in-game, uh, like in-game canon metal bands playing songs in the Double Dragon Neon soundtrack. I don't know. I love it. Uh, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to Game That Tune, Gems. Uh, let's rock out and peace out, everybody.
ya They try to hit ya They try to kick ya when you're down and out But they don't know ya They don't know ya